All right, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor. We are continuing our sermon series called Invitation to More. Before we jump in, a quick update over the last couple of weeks. We've been uh, talking about our our partnership with Compassion International. Uh, Three weeks ago or two weeks ago or whatever it was, we we gave an invitation and and actually brought in a a Compassion uh, alumnus and um, had had an incredible response. Last week, we had about a dozen more children sponsored, which is awesome. Um, and I want to let you know that, that if, if you miss the opportunity to join our community, we are, we are sponsoring kids in a very, very specific uh, neighborhood uh, of Honduras in, in the capital. Uh, if you wanted to be part of that, you still can. You need to go by Connection Point today and put your name down and, um, and, 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 and join us in that effort. Because what we're going to do this week is contact our, our, our guy at uh, Compassion International, let him know specifically how many kids we want to sponsor. He's going to send over the packets for us. And so if you want to join in, uh, today is your, your time to do that. Um, as I was talking with our, our contact guy, I ran into him this week at a conference, uh, a guy named Matt, and he was talking about um, just opportunities uh, that we have in the future of, of, and I've mentioned some of these, actually going down uh, and, and visiting the kids and, and um, doing other things in that community, which are just an incredibly exciting opportunity. But he said it would probably be really helpful if you had a point person, uh, you know, a champion, somebody who, who was going to help organize the community. And, and, and I would love to see us continue to engage, not just send uh, our checks, but, but continue to educate ourselves about that community and educate ourselves about w- what it's like there and, and, and to inform our prayers and to, in, you know, inflame our hearts with love for those kids and, and really help us experience, in a sense, the community piece. You know, not just individually um, supporting and sponsoring children, but, but as a community. And so um, I've just been praying, and I thought I'd mention it this morning. We're kind of looking for a point person to, uh, to head that up. And so uh, if you think that's something you would like to do, it would require um, organizational skills and, and um, kind of really thinking through how to build community and then potentially even doing some administrative work when it came time to, to organize a trip down there. Uh, just visit Connection Point, and, and if you wouldn't mind just dropping off your name, and, and uh, we may push in and have a conversation with you to find out if you're the right person. So um, I'll throw that out there. The other thing I wanted to hit this morning, um, at the beginning of the fall, I announced our plan to start an Alton site, um, a trailhead site in Alton, and, um, and we've been kind of working and praying and planning toward that, and over the last couple of weeks, um, I've started to feel some unease in my spirit, um, and, and it finally kind of clicked to a point where I'm like, all right, Lord, I think you might be saying something, and so I pushed in, and I've had conversations with the elders, and I've had uh, conversations with my, my, my church planting coach and, and with uh, the team, and, um, and, and what we've decided to do is, is uh, put this on a hold. Um, and, and, and this is why. We want to seek the Lord's face. I mean, this is the bottom line is we want to be submissive. We want to be obedient. We, we don't want to get out. I, I don't want to ever have this mindset, I'm going to go do great things for God, right? No, no. We want to submit to God. We don't want to be ahead of God. We want to be following God. And so um, I'm calling us to just take uh, until January. Let, just I'm asking my leadership team to pray and fast, right? To pray and fast. And so I'm going to invite you in if, if you would join us to do that very thing, to pray for the city of Alton, that, that we would 
whether we start a site there or not, that we would see an, uh, an increasing openness to the invitation of the gospel, that we would see people far from God brought near, that we would see people that are, that are in the faith but have lost their experience of grace be renewed and, and transformed, right? Just praying for all, and then praying for our leadership team, those that are, that are um, wanting to lead the initiative and those that are, are overseeing that, that we would have wisdom and sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit. And the way this works, fasting, uh, if you've never done it, we're not going to ask you to give up something like water, you'll die. Um, we, want, we, we would much rather you give up something you can survive. And so um, pick something that, that will just cause a regular inconvenience and discomfort, right? Because that's kind of the point of fasting. And so if you fast from something like chocolate, or you fast from, from the radio if you're driving every day, and, and when you reach for it, it's like a reminder, oh, wait, yeah, I'm fasting from that. I should pray. And so every time you experience that, it just prompts you to pray again specifically for that. And so if you would join us in doing that, man, we would, we would value that. Um, and, and we're calling our leaders and, and, and calling the church just to a season of, of fasting and praying so we can just be sensitive about what God wants us to do there. All right? This morning we're going over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to page uh, 911. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. If you have one of our study booklets, uh, we're going to be starting on the page called Force Multipliers, just to give you a heads up. Uh, If you don't have a booklet, but you would like one, we do have extras. And so just raise your hand and we'll put a booklet in that hand. And it's just a handy place to take notes. If you've missed previous sermons um, in the sermon series and you want to get caught up, um, all we need you to do is jump online, right? We've got all the sermons posted on trailheadonline.org, and you can go back and get caught up on those. If, uh, if you want to pick up a booklet after service, feel free to swing by Connection Point, and um, they are available. All right, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys. um, The premise of this sermon series, Invitation to More, is is pretty simple, right? There, There is more to the Christian life than we are currently experiencing, right? I don't care how mature you are. I don't, I don't care how much you've grown in Christ. I don't, how, I don't care how long you've been a believer. There is more to the Christian life than we are now experiencing. And if most of us were honest, we would admit that, that we've pretty much settled for good enough. This is good enough, right? Maybe I'm not having this dynamic, thriving, transformative experience of faith. Maybe I'm not completely lit up in joy, but, but it's good enough. I'm not dying on the vine. I'm making it through my day. You know, I don't have any, anything crashing down in my life. I'm, I'm, it's good enough. I've settled. But here's the thing, you guys. Settling doesn't honor God. 
Settling doesn't honor the gospel. Settling does not honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because settling is the opposite of faith. Settling is, is, is low-level disbelief just kind of coming in and undercutting our experience and growth in faith. Settling is, is us kind of like, well, I guess this is all there is, or I guess this is really all that I can hope for. It's disbelief. See, faith pushes us forward toward the one who is faithful. In the same way love pushes us forward to the one who loves us, right? If you're, if you're experiencing love, you will feel a gravitational pull toward the one who loves you. If you are moving in faith, you will be moving gravitationally toward the one who is faithful. For us to grow, stri- for us to grow stagnant in our Christian life, for us to simply settle for good enough, is in fact a betrayal of the resurrection. Because the resurrection is a promise that God will make all things new. There is more. God invites us to, to more. And we should be seeking to respond to that invitation, to, to grow into more life and more joy and more freedom and, and more power and more dignity. Bottom line is we've been given all things in Christ. Right? If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been given all grace, all honor, all power in Christ, but you are not experiencing all of what you've been given. We need to keep pushing in to grow in our experience, to expand the borders of our joy. There's more. And that means we need to grow. We need to grow in our capacity to experience the presence of God, grow in our capacity to experience joy, grow in our capacity to, to experience the power of the gospel. And this is what the Bible calls discipleship growth, right? To, to grow as a disciple means to be expanding the borders of our joy, to ex- be expanding our delight in the presence of God, to be expanding our experience of the power and the presence and the beauty and the love and the grace of God. So we've been unpacking our discipleship growth plan, which is the 3G model of growth, right? Which, which is very, very simple. It is this concept that, that our experience of grace right? The disruptive presence of grace leads to uh, us responding in faith. So God breaks in in grace, right? He, he, he prompts us with, with an unexpected love. That awakens within us a, a responding faith. Faith is simply trusting and saying, your plan's better than mine, right? Your salvation pro- project is better than my self-salvation project. Your, your plan for my joy is better than my plan for my joy. You, you love me, and that love undoes my trust in myself, and I, I trust you, man. You've paid such a price. You've sacrificed so much. How could I not? So, so that awakens faith, and then faith leads me into this experience of gratitude, where, where I have humility in the gift of grace, and I take joy in the giver, right? And, and that gratitude then propels me out in faith, Right? It enlivens my faith and pushes me into growth. And, and growth occurs in those areas of discomfort where, where I submit myself to God. Right? Where I'm pushing into the discomfort of, of denying myself a, a pleasure that I desperately want or, or, or denying myself a righteousness that I want to push out. I, I, I'm pushed into areas where I've got to trust God more than myself. Right? And, and, and those areas, man, those areas of discomfort are, are hard to stay in, which pushes me back into grace. Because for me to continue to submit in the area of discomfort, 
I need a renewed experience of grace. I, re, I, need, I need to experience the current outpouring of the love of God. I, I don't need just a, a story I heard once. I need the presence, the current presence, right? And that renewed experience of grace enlivens my faith. It pushes me back into a dynamic experience of gratitude, which propels me into more profound experiences of growth. This is the discipleship transformative model. This is how grace works. This is how we are changed, right? So last week, I mentioned this idea of force multipliers. Uh, Force multipliers, it's a military term talking about how, how military strategy, you look at things that are in the natural environment, that increase the effectiveness of what you have, right? So if you're on, on the top of a hill, it's not that you have, have more or better weapons, but being on the top of the hill actually makes your weapons more effective, right? Because you're actually defending a hilltop. That's a force multiplier. Force multiplier can be a ravine in an open field or a cluster of trees that hides your number and gives you shelter. Force multipliers make what you have more effective. There are force multipliers in the Christian life. The early church engaged them right? Engage them effectively. The early church, man, when you read through the early chapters of the book of Acts, you find that they are experiencing grace in a way that most of us can only read about. Most of us haven't experienced what's described in that passage we just read. I mean, these guys are, are not just content. They are overflowing with joy, right? Their understanding of authority, power, influence, and comfort has been completely upended by the kingdom of God. These are guys that that used to define themselves by their place in the world and people's respect of them. And suddenly those who had high title are are actually serving those with no title. Those with great material wealth are, are, are giving it away. They're actually selling their things so that those who are in need can be provided for. And it's not a big sacrifice. They're looking at their wealth and like, what is this compared to what I've been given? Their their experience of life is fundamentally different than most of ours. It is amazing when you read through that, that they are just overflowing with joy, overflowing with the presence of God, overflowing with gratitude and power. Man, they were an unstoppable force. And as a result, the world's been transformed. God worked through the testimony of that early community, and it was so countercultural. It was so radical. People were like, what in the world is going on here? We need to figure this out because you've got what I want. I've got all the things that I thought I wanted, and they're not giving me what I thought they would. I, I want what you've got. And so people all of a sudden were like, what do you believe and why? And how do I get some? And, and, and it transformed the world. So we need to pay attention when it says in Acts 2.42 that the early church devoted themselves to specific things, right? These were rhythms or practices, force multipliers in their lives. They devoted themselves to these things to increase their experience of grace, to more profoundly uh, experience the freedom of gratitude that would move them out into the generosity of growth, which would increase their experience of grace, right? And these five things um, are, and I'm going to put them in my language and then I'll explain why, um, the word, community, worship, prayer, and mission. Sorry, I pre-wrote them this time, but it's still my handwriting. All right, so, so you've got the three G's, the, the, the grace, gratitude, growth. They were devoted to the Word, the Word of God. 
That's what we're going to talk about this morning. They were devoted to uh, a deep and transformative experience of community, of knowing and being known, loving and being loved. They were, they were devoted to the, the corporate gathering of worship where they came together as a church to worship God together. They were devoted to personal and, and corporate prayer. And they were devoted to the mission of the gospel that moved them out in the word and in the deed of the love of Christ. So this morning we're going to be taking a look at, at this first one, right? So in Acts 2.42... It says, and they devoted themselves. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So first obvious question, why does it say apostles' teaching and not just the Bible, right? Why doesn't it just say they devoted themselves to the Bible? It might be helpful to remind ourselves they didn't have Bibles, right? During this period of time, there was no printing press, right? So, so to have the Bible, what that meant was, was that the texts of the Old Testament, they couldn't be photocopied, right? You couldn't just scan it and, and make a PDF that you could open up on your iPad, right? The, these things had to be meticulously and carefully hand-copied by scribes. These were people who their, their full-time profession was hand-copying texts. It was, a, it was a, an arduous and very, very careful task. They would go letter by letter, And if there was a mistake on a single page, they would destroy the entire copy and start over. They took it so seriously, right? So so having an actual copy, say, of the prophet Isaiah or of the collection of Psalms or or of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, those were incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. Very seldom did people own them as private treasures. They were normally the possession of communities, and they were held in local synagogues, the gathering places of the Jews where they would come and worship. And they would, they would as a community, try to secure and have these, 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 um, these documents so that they could have the public reading of the Word as they gathered, so that they could open them up. Right? So there were the Old Testament texts that were hand-copied um, and, and, and incredibly uh, meticulously cared for, and, and huge treasures. And then during this period of time, they had the apostles' teaching, like literally the apostles' teaching. Right? The apostles, this is right after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles, as they gathered, these guys had been thoroughly trained in the Old Testament texts, and they would, as they gathered, teach and say, hey, you remember Isaiah 53, where it talks about the suffering servant? Today I'm going to tell you how that's Jesus. Right? The apostles' teaching, what they did is, is by the, the leading of the Spirit, they looked through the death, burial, and resurrection back to the Old Testament texts and opened those texts up so that people could see that they were all pointing to Jesus, that Jesus was the seed of Abraham. Right? Abraham was promised that he would have uh, children as many as the stars of heaven and like the sands of the seashore and that he would inherit the whole earth. So, so they were the ones that opened that up and said, you know who the seed of Abraham is? It's Jesus. Right? He is the, the son of David, the, the one who will sit on the throne of Israel forever. He is the true king of kings. And he's, they would open it up. They had the apostles teaching. Now, I don't know, man, I, that kind of lights me up. How cool would it have been? Like, go hang out in somebody's living room, and, and there's Peter, you know, just open up the word. Like, all right, today I'm going to talk to you about Psalm 23, right? This is what it means. You have, you have the Apostle John or James or, man, that would have been like incredible, incredible, right? And they're opening up things that, that, that you hadn't seen yet, 
things that hadn't been talked about yet. They were discovering it as they studied it and as they were digging in. The apostles' teaching was central because it helped them understand how the new covenant that Jesus made in his blood uh, recentered everything, the story of God on him and, and on his work. Now, here's the thing as the church grew, the, the apostles couldn't be in all the new churches. Right? There were only so many apostles. They, they couldn't move themselves around. So what they did is they started codifying their teaching. They started like, like narrowing it down and, and, and putting it into specific formulas or, or pieces that they could then entrust to faithful men. Right? This became an oral tradition in the early church where, where faithful teachers would actually memorize the, the apostles' teaching. And, and, and so they would come to these teaching, these gatherings, and, and they would recite what they had memorized. Like when, when Paul tells Timothy, guard the, the deposit that it has been entrusted to you. I think he's talking about the apostolic deposit, right? This, this, this body of teaching that Timothy had committed to memory that he was then bringing to the church, right? That he was then opening up. It was the oral tradition. And then it wasn't long before the apostles started writing letters to the churches. And pretty soon the letters came alongside the oral tradition. And so, so when a church like Galatia got a letter, they would hand, they'd be like, man, go copy a bunch of these, right? Somebody, a scribe, would go hand copy a bunch of these letters, and then they would distribute it to all the churches in the community. And, and when you were a church, man, if you, oh, Corinth got a letter. Let's see if we can get a hold of one of those, right? Send somebody to Corinth. We want that letter, right? When, oh, Ephesus has got a letter. Let's get one of those, right? And so they started collecting these letters, and pretty soon the letters took the place of the oral tradition because in the letters, the apostles were actually writing out the apostolic deposit. They were were actually explaining um, how the new covenant uh, reinterprets everything in in Scripture. And so when they gathered, the apostle would would teach or, or the teacher would open up the apostolic deposit and, and teach, and then, and then somebody would give a word of exhortation, which, which basically means that they would say, okay, here's what the Word of God says. This is how it intersects with your life, right? Here's how it's practical. This is how we live it out in everyday, first century, modern life, right? So, so there was a, the opening of the apostolic deposit. There was a, an exhortation. It was similar to a modern sermon. Now, obviously, ours is very culturally wrapped. They didn't meet and, and run through a very specific order of service like we do. They, they met around a meal, and they would teach. And, and if you think I teach a long time, man, they went longer. Okay, that's always comforting to me, right? <laughs> Paul spoke so long uh, at one gathering that a dude named Eutychus, who had been working all day in the fields, fell asleep in a windowsill and fell out onto the pavement and died. Okay, I haven't killed anybody. So I'm, now Paul could bring him back from the dead. I can't. So uh, there is that. But, but they would meet around the Word. It would be opened. They would devote themselves to it. And, and, and you guys, today, we have the full collection of, of those documents, right? We've, we've got the full collection of the apostolic deposit. We've got all the letters in the New Testament. They're right here, Right? We've got all the the writings of the Old Covenant, right? The history, the prophecy, the law. It's all right right here. We've got it all, right? And and it's bound into a single book. We have the full collection right here. And you guys, this book is incredible. 
This book is incredible. It's unlike any other book on the face of the earth. And I'm not exaggerating. This book was, was written, it's, it's a collection of 66 different books. Some of them are history. Some of them are prophecy. Some of them are poetry. Some of them are personal letters, right? It's 66 different books written by around 40 different authors. Over around, uh, just under 2,000 years, right? Three different languages, multiple different cultures. And yet when you read this book, it tells a single story. Now, it's made up of thousands of little stories. And when you read those little stories, they're, they're confusing or, or engaging or informative or, or whatever. But when you step back and see all the stories, how they come together, they tell a single story of a God who is going to redeem and restore creation. A God who will not be put off by, by his, his creation's sin, their rebellion against him. He will redeem them. He will restore them. He will have his glory established in the created order. It's a single story. Because there's no explanation for why a book like this could exist. Except for a God. Right? I, was a, I was an editor at a college yearbook. Right? We tried to carry a single theme through a single yearbook with, with about four different copywriters, and it was hard enough keeping them on point over a course of a year so we can keep a single theme. This was, was 66 different books, over, right around 40 authors, three languages, almost 2,000 years. It only makes sense if you have a divine copy editor, one who is driving the story. It's a phenomenal book. For a moment, consider how valuable this book would be to believers in the first century. If they could have the complete collection of the Old Testament writings, if they could have the complete collection of the apostolic letters, For most of human history, people understood the value of the Word of God. People would die to get a hold of it. And people would die to make sure other people could have it accessible in their own language. Because it was a treasure beyond compare. They were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And we should be too, you guys. We should be too. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 it says this, I'll put it up on the screen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God, in other words, is effective for growth. It'll equip you for everything you need to be equipped for. It'll, it'll, it'll strengthen you for every challenge. It'll comfort you in every sorrow. It'll give you language for every joy. It will meet you in every misdirected desire and redirect that desire to its true source. It is effective to take you where you truly want to go. It is phenomenal. And then Paul tells Timothy something crazy. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is breathed out by God. That, that is the, the doctrine we call inspiration. Now, we talk about the inspiration of Scripture. We don't mean it you know, like an artist would use it. Like, I saw a beautiful sunset and it's inspired me to make this clay model, right? Whatever. This isn't like inspiration in that sense. This is inspiration in the sense that it is actually spoken 
God breathed. That's the literal translation. It, it, all Scripture is breathed out by God. But Steve, you just told us that it was written by, by, like, by like 40 different people over all these different years. How, how can it be breathed out by God when it was written by people? Because God, as only God could, worked through the talents and the personalities and the faculties of individuals to communicate what He wanted to say. God wanted to reveal Himself and chose to do it through the people He chose to use. So as they wrestled with truth and as they wrestled with what to write and as they expressed themselves in their own personalities, you can pick it up in the pages of the New Testament and the Old Testament. You read through it, you, you, can, you can sense who these people are. They're expressing themselves through their own faculties in their own personality, but it's the Spirit of God working through them so that we could have this incredible gift of grace. So that we could have a revelation of who God is and who we are so that we can have an encounter with grace. So how important is the Bible to our growth? Romans ten seventeen says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You realize that, that faith isn't something you just choose to have, right? You can't make yourself have faith. You can't just be like, well, I'm going to be a man of faith now. I'll be a man of more faith now. I mean, you just can't do it. Faith is a response. God initiates, we respond. All spiritual growth comes from us responding to God, not us performing for God. Faith is a response to truth. As God reveals himself in grace, he initiates toward us and it it, 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 it provokes our heart to respond in trust because that's the essence of faith. Is, is, is I'm going to trust you instead of trust myself. I'm going to rest in you instead of resting in myself. I'm, I'm going to lean into you instead of leaning on myself. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God reveals himself and in revealing himself, he prompts our hearts to respond to him and that response is called faith as we come to trust Him more than we trust ourselves. We cannot overestimate the importance of the Word of God to the Christian life. We cannot overestimate the importance of the Word of God to the Christian life. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down across the table from somebody at a coffee shop, and, and they'll be like, Steve, Man, I'm just really struggling with my faith, man. I used to be, like, excited and full of joy, and, and, and I'm just dry, and I'm having a hard time, and, 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 and I don't know, man. I'm, sometimes I wonder if, if, if God exists, and if He does exist, does, does He love me? I mean, I just, I don't know, man. And almost always, my first question is the same. Tell me about your habits with the Word of God. Tell me about, you know, tell me about your reading habits. How do you engage the Word of God? Almost every single time the answer is the same. Well, you know, I, I, get, I don't really read the Bible. You know, I, don't, I tried once. It, it, I don't know. It didn't do it for me. You know, well, what's your daily reading like? Well, yeah, I don't know. Every once in a while a verse pops up on my Facebook feed, you know. And that's inspiring. That's, that's how I engage the Bible. All right, you guys, seriously. <laughs> It would be like me deciding to go on an all-day mountain bike ride and not eating breakfast 
And then when I poop out, I blame my bike. Right? The Word of God provokes us to faith. The Word of God is God's initiation toward us that awakens our heart to respond in faith. If we are not engaging the Word of God, we are starving our faith. Grace produces gratitude. The Word of God is the manifestation of grace to us in written form. We need to engage the gift of God's grace in the Bible if we want to see our faith grow. The Word is a gift. And in it, man, we we learn about God and we learn about ourselves and we learn about the world and and yeah, there's stuff in there that's confusing. And yeah, there's stuff in there that's hard to understand. And, and yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that you don't even, you'll be like, mm, I don't even know why this is here. But you know what? God's in it all. Because it is God-breathed. And as you read it and wrestle with it, you're not just engaging words on a page. You're engaging the grace of God. And the Spirit of God is never absent from the Word of God. He is active as you engage it. So, to be devoted to the Word of God means a few things, all right? Pretty simple, right? To be devoted to the Word of God, there are some ways we need to, to engage this, right? For it to be a regular practice in our life. If we're really going to see this become a force multiplier in our lives, something that really does generate a deeper experience of grace that awakens our gratitude, that, that pushes us into areas of growth, that expands our, our boundaries of joy, right? If we're really going to do this, first things we need to read it, <laughs> right? Those are words on a page, and and words on a page are designed to be read. We need to read the Word of God. You guys, in the early church, if if you had an apostle in 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 your town, or if you had a teacher who was entrusted the apostolic deposit coming, and you had this incredible message, man, you would go and you would listen, and you would hang on every Word. If you had an Old Testament manuscript, you would, you would keep it as one of the greatest treasures you ever had, right? You would keep it safe in your home. You would keep it protected. You would pull it out and look at it, and you would even share it with the community because these things, are, these things were not designed to be private treasures. You would bring it into the, into the synagogue where, where the Scripture could be read aloud. You would pull it out and, and, and treasure this thing. Today, every household in America and I, statistically that's correct, although I'm sure there are some exceptions. Every household in America has a Bible in it that is being completely ignored. C.H. Spurgeon once observed that most homes have Bibles covered with so much dust that you can write damnation in the cover. You guys, we can't allow the convenience of having the Word of God become contempt for its contents. There are so many Bibles around that we look at them and see them as common. It is so easily available that we forget the incredible price that was paid to make it available. The blood that has been shed, the martyrs that have died, the people who have suffered so that the Bible could be given to us in our own language and made available to us to study. We can't allow the convenience of having the Word become content contempt for its contents. Just because it's not rare for us doesn't mean it shouldn't be valuable to us. Yes, we need to read it. We need to read it. Yeah, Steve, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know how, right? Doesn't it take special knowledge to read the Bible? No, 
It really doesn't. There's stuff in there that's hard to understand. There's stuff you're going to have to, you know, get some help to dig into. There's some cultural stuff, some historical stuff. And if you get into some of the crazy prophecy, yeah, no doubt, you're, you're going to need some, some help unpacking it. But, but that doesn't mean you can't read it, right? You'll be amazed at how much of the Bible you can understand if you just open it up and, and dig into it. When I was a brand new believer, um, I became a believer by one night opening up my Bible and, and reading the book of Hebrews. I don't know if you know much about the book of Hebrews, but that is generally not the best place to start. It, it is a New Testament book that was written to Jews who were thoroughly educated in, in Israel's history. It, it is full of references to all kinds of stuff all over the Old Testament that I, don't, I didn't know anything about, right? And yet, as I read the book of Hebrews that night, I understood enough. I understood that God was communicating to me in Jesus and that Jesus was better than anything else I was trusting in. I understood enough to know that even though the church was full of hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the church didn't limit the beauty of Christ. This is, this is the actual Bible. This is, this is one of my greatest treasures. My mom gave this to me three years before I became a believer. Never opened it. That night I opened it. And I read the book of Hebrews. And, and then that Thanksgiving, like awakened in this new faith, excited about this new thing, man. I just started in Genesis. And on my Thanksgiving break, I read from one end to the other. And you're like, Steve, well, you're probably a really fast reader. No, I'm not. I'm an English teacher, so I read a lot. And one of the things I was trained to do was actually measure reading comprehension and reading speed. And so I would test on myself as I was learning these tools and techniques. Come to find out, I am a remedial speed reader because I am a word-for-word reader. Like, literally, I read every word on the page. That is not the only way to read. And those of you who read very quickly have learned how to scan ideas instead of reading every word. I actually pronounce each one in my head. I can't change it. I've tried. I'm the slowest reader in the world. That's why I have such a huge book list that I never get to, right? So how did I read that in two weeks? It's not that long. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's really not. Some of you have read the entire Wheel of Time series, and you're like, the books of the Bible so long. Right? The Wheel of Time series is like 5,100 million decillion. I don't know. It's long. And, and, and you know, you've, read, you've read all of C.S. Lewis, or you've read the, the Chronicles of Narnia, or you've read J.R.R. Tolkien, or you've read whatever. You guys, it's, it's actually really engaging and interesting. It's fascinating. And what's awesome about it is as you dig in and read it, God meets you in the pages. He awakens you in ways you don't understand. You'll see things you didn't know you would see. Now, there are points you'll be confused. I admit it. There are points you're going to be like, man, why in the world is that there? Take a little note. Write, write in your Bible. It's okay. Right? It's one of the things that I love about this is I can look back and see the notes that I wrote in here 30 years ago right, when I was a brand new believer. You know, write in your Bible. That's fine, but keep moving. Don't be like, well, I didn't understand that, so I better not read the rest. No, just keep reading, right? We need to read the Bible. That is the first and most fundamental way we encounter the Word of God because you will understand. If you didn't understand it at all, that's fine, but you'll understand more than you did. You'll walk away with more in your brain and more embedded in your heart, and the Spirit of God will meet you in the reading because you never read the Bible apart from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is always enlivening the Word of God. 
It awakens our faith, and God will meet you in it. So we need to be reading the Bible, and, 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 and we need to be learning how to read it intelligently. All right? So I don't want us to be lazy in this. It means we're going to have to learn how to study it, too. There is something to that, to, to understanding, right? The Bible is amazingly accessible when you start to read it, but it's a book that needs to be respected. It's a book that needs to be approached with humility. It is a book that comes to us from an ancient culture, right? It was originally written in different languages. It was written in different contexts from different people to, to very specific audiences. And, and we're not used to some of the genres, some of the types of literature in here, right? Now, you read through the Psalms, maybe you're used to poetry, but you read through prophecy, more than likely you've never been trained on how to read and understand and engage prophecy. So, so we're going to have to learn how to approach it carefully. We need to be careful students, That's nothing new, right? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And then he explains what he means by that. What does it mean to be one approved? What does it mean to be one who doesn't need to be ashamed, right? Timothy, as a young teacher in the church, he says, rightly handling the word of truth. Having the ability to actually handle it rightly. What that means is there are ways to handle it wrongly, guys. There are ways to to mishandle the word of truth and nullify it of its power, right? False teachers do this. They're more concerned with building their platform than experiencing the grace of God. False teachers are more interested in having a following than in pointing people to Christ. So they, they purposely manipulate Scripture subtly to expand their own glory instead of pointing to the glory of God. There are those who cherry-pick Scripture, right? They want something to be true, so they just find a verse over here and a f- verse over here and a verse over here and put them all together, and somehow they prove themselves to be right, right? There are those who are selective readers. They, they read those portions of Scripture that already agree with them, and they ignore the ones that don't. Right? I don't like what that part has to say, so I'm just going to ignore it and pretend like it's not there. They are selective readers of Scripture. You guys, all of these are mishandling the Word of God. And they are rooted in, in ignorance and arrogance. Ignorance in the sense that we don't, if we're handling the Word of God like that, we rec- we're not seeing what a great gift it is, that it is a single overarching story. That, that our goal as readers is not just to understand each individual story, but to understand how that individual story fits into the greater story. To, to understand not just how David fe- defeated Goliath, but, but how David himself is, is a foreshadowing of the greater hero who defeated our greater enemy, sin, right? It helps us understand that there are stories within a story that are pointing to the greatest story, the story of a, a hero who is redeeming and restoring. There are things that we need to dig into that, that require humility, We need to be not ignorant of of the context and not arrogant toward it. You guys, listen, the Word of God rewards careful study. The Word of God rewards careful study. It's hard work, but it rewards careful study. You're like, yeah, but Steve, I don't want to go to seminary. You don't need to go to seminary. Seminary is awesome, right? In seminary, you will learn a lifetime's worth of information in four years and spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what you just learned right? There are other ways to learn, right? I, I haven't been to seminary. That wasn't the path God took me on. I was given a Bible and 30 years of study. That's what I've got. We are given the Word of God to study and understand it, 
you don't need to be a specialist. You don't need to be super smart. You just need to be humble. Because in humility, we learn to sit under the Word instead of over the Word. In humility, we're not trying to master the Word. We're trying to be mastered by it. In humility, we're not, we're not trying to, to, to twist the Word of God to meet our goals and our ends. We're seeking to be untwisted by God so that our hearts are aligned with what is true and beautiful and real. So how do we study it? Man, it's awesome to do it with other people. Um, there are study groups. There are books that can help you out. You need to be careful that you're not doing study books, that you're reading the study book for like three hours and then looking at two verses in the Bible, right? Um, you need to be actually in the Word. And there are great ways to do it. Um, I would highly recommend a good study Bible if, if you don't have one, right? The ESV study Bible is one that I recommend. Uh, it, it is put together by, by scholars I respect. Um, and, and what it's going to do is gonna, when you open to a book like Isaiah, it's going to tell you who wrote it and when they wrote it, who they were writing it to and why. And that information helps you understand it. And as you read through it, there are notes on the side that help you engage and understand the contents. Like there's, you know, in Ezekiel, this crazy image of, of, of Ezekiel coming to an image of God with wheels spinning inside of wheels with faces and animals. And, and you don't even know how to picture it in your head, right? Sometimes it helps to have people like, okay, this is what's being described and why, right? It, it is helpful. It helps you engage. So I would encourage you, man, just start studying it. Start where you are. Just start where you are, because the Word of God rewards careful study, and it progressively reveals its depth. And then finally, you need to meditate on it. You need to meditate on the Word of God. You need to to read it, you need to study it, and you need to meditate on it. Psalm 119.11. Let's skip over to that one. There we go. Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word. To store means to hide in order to treasure, right? It means a lot more than just putting information. It means, it means hiding a treasured possession in a, in a secure and safe place. I stored up your word in my heart so that I could, so that I could treasure it, study it, Look at it, safeguard it, right? And above all, so that I can delight in it, right? Psalm 119, 14 says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Right? I, I delight in it because it points me to the one who delights in me. You guys, seriously, if, if, if you would be more excited about finding a $100 bill on, the, on, on a bathroom floor than you would about opening the Word of God, you need a heart check, right? If you'd be more excited about you know, winning the lottery than you would be about having something of infinite value, we need a heart check. Instead of craving treasures that get temporary pleasures and, 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 and the image, but the false image of security, we have here the Word of God that can actually transform us, free us, so that we are not enslaved to our things, so that we are not afraid of people, so that we are not terrified of, of being exposed in our shame. It sets us free into the strength of who God created us to be. It transforms us into the people God created us to be. This is of so much greater value. I delight in your word more than I would 
all riches. Steve, I'm, I'm just not a meditator, man. I don't even know what that means. What is that meditation thing? That sounds, I don't know, new age-ish, right? What is that? How do I do that? You're already doing it. You meditate on what you delight in. You govern your thoughts to focus on, on what you delight in. If you, if you love baseball, you're thinking about baseball all the time, especially this time of year, right? If you love sports, you're, you're memorizing stats. You're, 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 you know, like it'll bleed out of you in conversations. Well, in 1929, so-and-so did this, and they're all like, oh, hey, all right. It just comes out of you. Why? Because you meditate on it. If you, if you have a hobby that you're consumed with, you meditate on that hobby. If, 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 if you are a, a total, you know, um, well, some of you haven't heard a word I've said because you haven't stopped thinking about, you know, stranger things because you're meditating on the, the upside down, right? I mean, it's, it's the story has just gripped you. You know what I'm saying? Like you meditate on what you delight in. You're already doing it. We're being called to meditate on the Word. Yeah, but Steve, I don't delight in the word like that. Okay, then reverse it. Because you're going to delight in what you meditate on. Sometimes we have to discipline our minds to focus on what is truly important so that we can come to delight in what is truly delightful. Sometimes we need to go through the hard work of actually saying, I will focus my mind on this truth because it is good for me. I will sit in this. I will memorize this passage. I will go over it in my mind over and over and over again. So, so that it, it becomes embedded in, in my mind. And as you do that, the Spirit of God meets you in that process, and He will awaken your delight in the God who delights in you. So sometimes we delight in the Word of God because the Word of God really is our delight. Sometimes we choose to focus on the Word of God to reawaken our delight. That's growth. Remember, growth is submission in areas of discomfort that push us back into experience of grace. Sometimes we engage the Word of God to push our hearts back into an experience of grace because it is the Word of God that reawakens our experience of faith and it is our experience of faith that allows us to trust and it is our trust that frees us into gratitude and delight. We need to meditate on the Word of God. You know, most of the Scripture I've memorized in my life, I didn't intentionally memorize. There are passages that I purposely memorized, like Psalm 1 and Romans 8 and 1 Peter 1. There are passages I've specifically tried to memorize, especially longer ones. Most of the Scripture I've memorized has just come from the fact that I desperately needed it. I just sat in it, and I sat in it, and I read it, and I thought about it, and I sat in it. And pretty soon, it started bleeding out. Pretty soon, I would think about it during the day. Pretty soon, it just started. So, so it's an act of discipline. It's an act of delight. But you guys, it is both from delight and for delight. There's a great English word, ruminate. Maybe you like that one better than meditate, right? Ruminate. You're like, see, that doesn't help. Uh, ruminate literally means to chew the cud. So for those of you bucolic people, you know, you farmers, um, uh, a cow <laughs> eats his grass swallows it, and then spits it back up to chew on it some more. He's chewing the cud, getting more nutrients out of it. And then he's like, okay, I'm done with this. He swallows it, and he spits it back up and chews it some more. And you're thinking that's incredibly disgusting. It is. That's how God designed him. That's just the way he works, right? But that's an incredible picture for meditation. It is when we take something in, and then we call it back to mind to consider it again, and we take it in and we call it back to mind to consider it again. 
it's amazing how much you'll be able to memorize, right? Because you already, you, think about how many songs you have memorized. Think about how many movie quotes you have memorized. Think about how many, how many lines from books you have. You, you, you're doing it already. It's just about being intentional, knowing that this is a force multiplier. I want to grow in grace. I want to experience more joy. I want more power. I want to taste the resurrection of Christ instead of just talk about it. Then you need to engage the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the tool the Spirit of God uses to transform you into the image of the Son of God. The Word of God is the tool that the Spirit of God uses to transform you into the image of the Son of God. The Word of God is not optional. We need to engage it. We've been given an incredible gift. You guys, let's grab it. I'm going to encourage you, if you, if you don't have a regular reading habit, will you just commit to the next 30 days to reading it every day? Find a point every time the same day if you can. Maybe over your morning coffee or whatever, but engage it and read it every day. Right? Well, I don't know what to read. How about the Gospel of John? Read the Gospel of John, one of my favorites. Or Mark, that's one of my favorites. Or Luke, that's one of my favorites. Right? But John really is. I mean, like, the Apostle John, for whatever reason, man, I just, everything he writes, I just love it. So, Maybe the Gospel of John. Maybe the Book of Romans, right? Am I, <laughs> I was, it always reminds me when I go back. It's like, I didn't spend a ton of time in the Minor Prophets, but holy cow, Romans is like about falling out of here, right? So maybe for you, it's the Book of Romans. Just, just read it every day. Maybe, maybe it's the Psalms. There are 30 Proverbs, 30 chapters in Proverbs. That's convenient. It's one for every day. So read a proverb a day. But choose not just to read it distractedly while you have Netflix on and, and all this. Like, focus and read it. You guys, let's engage the Word of God so that the Word of God can engage us. Let's humble ourselves under the Word of God so that the Spirit of God can use it to transform us into the image of the Son of God. Let me close this in a word of prayer. And uh, we're going to share communion in a moment, but that'll be introduced. So let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you for the incredible gift you have given us in your Word. John 1 tells us that the living Word of God is Jesus himself that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that the written Word of God tells us about this living Word of God. It is, it is in the words on the page that we encounter the living Savior. Lord, will you humble our hearts and renew our wonder at this incredible gift we've been given? Will you, will you Spirit, just, just wake us up so that we can see how temporary and how foolish most of the distractions are that, we, that, we're cons- that are consuming our mind, that, that we are spending all of our meditation time on. Lord, will, will, you, will you help us see the beauty of this incredible gift of grace that we have in the Word? May, Spirit, will you, will you develop a community of people that take the Word seriously, that read it devotionally, that study it carefully, that seek to come under its authority to be transformed by it. Lord, will you, will you do that here? You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.